Friday, we've made it. We've made it to another end of the week, and your weekend's about to begin. And what a great thought, right? So, welcome to the Daily Walk. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger, and we are here in Acts 8 and 9 today. And it is the beginning of the persecution of the church. Uh, remember Jesus said he that he wants them to begin in their inner circle, but then to go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth and take the gospel message. So remember we closed out yesterday and Stephen was boldly given the Jewish leaders the history of Jesus' people. He went all the way back from Adam, all the way back to Abraham, all the way through David, and then the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of the Messiah. And, of course, that got him infuriated, so they took him out of the city and stoned him. So today we start with after... Stephen's death. So after Stephen's death, we find out who it was that they were putting their coats at the feet of who was there at his stoning, and that was Saul. Saul was one of the witnesses who completely agreed with the killing of Stephen. That's Acts 8, verse 1. And so after Stephen's death, a great wave of persecution falls on the people and the church in Jerusalem. And so all the believers, except for the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, which, interestingly enough, is exactly where Jesus wanted them to go to take the gospel message. Now, see, they were scattered because they were afraid of being thrown in jail, and persecuted more by these religious leaders. And isn't that just strange? The very people that are supposed to teach Jesus, teach Bible, teach God, are the ones going out and killing the very people that are teaching what is supposed to be taught. So they all leave, and the first one we hear about is Philip, and he goes to Samaria, and he's teaching all about Jesus and the Messiah, and the crowds are listening intently, and many people become uh, believers with them because they see people getting demons cast out of them, the, the paralyzed are being healed, and they're, the lame are made to walk. and So the, there's great joy in Samaria. Now remember when Jesus was here, he uh, it, he went through Samaria to meet the woman at the well, you know. And I know somebody right now 
who the woman at the well was is a great story for her if she would just you know take a minute and let us witness to her but it seems like when we try she's always busy or my wife and I and she's special to us and I know we know she's going through a hard time and we just want her to know how much Jesus loves her so Philip is going through the town doing that. And so there was in that same town a man named Simon. This isn't Simon Peter, the apostle. This is a, another man named Simon who was a sorcerer, and he could do amazing things. Um, people looked at him as great. They called him the great one because he was had power that they didn't understand he could do magic. And so, you know, his power didn't come from God. Let's just put it that way. And they he saw what Philip was doing, and he heard what Philip's message was concerning the kingdom of God and the gospel message of Jesus Christ and how many people were coming to be followers of Jesus and were being baptized and so Simon, this Simon himself became a believer and was baptized. And he became a follower. And so he's following Philip around, and Philip, he got to see Philip do these many signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, okay? Which you have to think a guy that used to be called the Great One seeing Philip just pray in the name of Jesus and people be healed and all this great stuff happen, will probably be like, wow, how does this do this? Because, you know, he knew he had a trick up his sleeve to make stuff happen, you know. But this, he doesn't understand, right? And so then Philip gets a, a little help from Peter and John. They come and they start talking and he's like hey you know the holy these people i've baptized them in the name of jesus and water but they have not received the infilling of the holy spirit yet so then they pray over these people and they get sanctified you know filled with the spirit and all those people receive the holy spirit now, if we go back to Acts 2, we can think about how those people receive the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's the same thing. When we receive Jesus in our heart, people, we can have this infilling of the Holy Spirit if we just ask for it. And so it says Peter and John laid hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. You can receive the Holy Spirit and you don't always have to have hands laid on you. You just have to ask Jesus to come into your heart. You want to give your life completely over him. You want to be entirely devoted to him. No hidden agendas, no hidden nooks and crannies. No, you can have all of me but this. It's, Lord, I'm totally yours, entirely yours. And so, you know, when, when he saw this completely, Complete devotion and people get filled with the Holy Spirit or, you know, filled with joy. Simon saw this, you know, and he's offering them money. Hey, let me have this power. 
remember Jesus said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll have power. So Simon is like trying to buy this. And so they rebuke him. And they're like, may your money be destroyed for thinking you can buy God's gift. People, we can't buy anything that the Lord has to offer. He freely gives. And he says, I didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you, because he wants to freely give it, but we have to freely accept it. And the only way we can freely accept the Holy Spirit is to freely open up our total self to him. Because the only way we freely get it, you know, when we offer money for something, there's always this hidden part of us that says, man, I don't know. You know, that's a lot. But when we freely give of ourselves, totally, to freely give ourselves, we have to be totally willing. And so they just call him out and say, we can see that you're full of bitter jealousy and you're held captive by sin because your heart's not in it. You just want this for pomp and circumstance because you're jealous that you were never able to do what the Lord Jesus can do through us or through others. And so Simon's like, oh, no. Well, pray for me. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. And so he wants deliverance. It's just apparent that he doesn't know how to get deliverance because he's asked the Lord to be in relationship with. He, he, he said back then, you know, a few verses earlier, that he repented. But it was a conditional repentance. See, when we get filled with the Spirit, it's unconditional. When we want to be entirely sanctified, set apart, made whole for Jesus, filled with this Holy Spirit, that's unconditional. I am totally all yours, Lord. And so, to me, this says Simon just didn't get it, so he's asking them to pray to the Lord for him. Here's the other thing. We can pray for you and with you, but you have to pray the prayer. We have to pray the prayer on our own to make it real. I can't pray, Lord, help so-and-so have the have filling of the Holy Spirit, and that be all you need. We have to pray for ourselves, too, and say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I surrender all. You can have all of me. I give myself to you, and I want all of you to take control of my life. I no longer lead. You lead me. And that's what I think Simon's trying to get from them. Hey, help me. Help me know. So after they do this, Peter and John return to Jerusalem. And then we switch over to Philip. And Philip's walking to uh, desert roads that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza when he runs into this Ethiopian eunuch and he hears him. The Holy Spirit says, go over the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So he hears direction. 
And I love that when you hear that because the Holy Spirit, you know, I had something happen to me the other day and the Holy Spirit said, hey, you need to write that. So I'm like, okay. And so I go in and I, I talk to the person and the person's like, no, you don't need to do that. And I said, well, someone greater than me, because I'm in a in a place where Jesus is not really readily acceptable and I'm trying to witness to this guy indirectly. I said, someone greater than me told me I needed to do that, so I'm doing it. (laughs) And so he's like, well, I appreciate that, you know. And I know that indirectly he probably figured out who that someone greater than me is. And so Philip's hearing the Holy Spirit say, hey, go over and walk along this carriage because that's where the Ethiopian eunuch is. And he hears him reading now the book of Isaiah. So Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I unless someone instructs me? And here's the whole thing. This is why we're doing the podcast. A lot of times we read the word and we don't even get what we're reading. And, you know, when I teach Bible classes, a lot of times that's the whole aspect is the people that I'm teaching don't even get what they're reading and a lot of times the people they've had before me just blow through it and expect them that they know what they're reading. And the truth is this generation, they they don't, a lot of times we don't know. And that's what I like about this Bible we're reading, The Daily Walk, is it takes us from cover to cover. And when we go cover to cover, and don't mix up a bunch of stuff, that's when we get to learn about the Adam and the Eves, the Cains and the Abels, the Joseph story, the Moses story, and all the things in between. Because a lot of people don't even know that. The Daniel and the lion's den, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A lot of people don't even know those exist. And for us to just take for granted that when we speak it, people know it. You know, how can they unless someone instructs me? And I think we can't, We have to, as a church, quit taking for granted that everybody knows what we know. And so that's why I love this book. And I applaud all you people that are coming in on the podcast just to tune in and get a little something, something from this. So Philip gets in with him and he reads the scripture with him. And the scripture was actually from Isaiah where it talks about the he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb was silent before the shears and didn't open his mouth. He was humiliated, received no justice. And all this scripture was about the Messiah. Well, Philip's one of the scattered ones, and he's going out, and he's supposed to take the good news. So this is an open door for Philip to share the gospel message, what Jesus wanted him to do. So Philip talks about how Jesus was the one that was prophesied in Isaiah, that he would come and he would be beaten for us and hang on a cross and die and on the third day rise again so that we could have eternal life with him and that we if we repent of our sins and say we want a relationship with jesus we can live in heaven with him and so of course the eunuch's like yeah give me some of that 
So they he accepts Jesus in his heart, and they stop the the carriage. The eunuch orders the driver to stop, and they get out and they baptize this guy in a pool of water right there along the way. Now you gotta. Here's what I really love about this: that pool of water was that just all of a sudden, or did God just kind of make that happen? I just kind of got to think God made that happen. You know, because why do I say that? Because after he's baptized, it says in verse 39, when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. So if God's going to snatch Philip away, God's going to make a place for him to baptize the eunuch because God's the one that told him to go to the eunuch. So God's putting all the stuff in place for him to witness bring this person into relationship with the Lord, baptize him, and then, boom, he's taken to another place. And so after Philip leads this man to the Lord, the Holy Spirit moves him on to another place down the road in Aztos. And there he gets to witness to more people. And he gets to share Jesus there. So see, the Lord has a way of helping us be in the right place, right time to help people come to know Jesus. And then when we get done, he'll move us to the next place where he knows more people need to hear the gospel message. And then we go to chapter nine, where remember the guy that was all witnessed of, uh, Stephen stoning was all for it. Saul, well, Saul's now on the hunt. He's going on the hunt for these believers of the way. These are Jesus followers. And he wants to bring them to prison. He is eager to kill Lord's followers. And he has this hate for them. Saul's a Pharisee. He's a guy that knows the Bible. And you have to kind of give him maybe a little credit. Maybe he's thinking these are blasphemers because there's only one true God, because he's in denial that Jesus is real, because he's, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, friend of sinners and they'd only say god and they don't even say god they say yahweh because god is too you know too uh, reverent so they don't want to say the word god they don't that's why you know matthew really doesn't use the word kingdom of god it's kingdom of heaven because it's like we can't go there and that's why when people cuss they know that it's so high powerful of a name that's the word they use in vain all the time god said don't use your name my name in vain thou shalt not use my name in vain you know i mean think about it we don't hear him say other names in vain and think that's something the the most in vain usage of a name is the lord's name i mean let's just get real okay so anyway saul is on the way to Damascus to get all the believers of the way and either kill them or bring them to prison. He's already been given approval to do that. Damascus is 
a hundred miles for, from Jerusalem. That's how intent he is. Think how long that would take you to walk. A hundred miles. I have been 100 miles. Yeah, so think about that. That is like from our area probably to Chicago. And you're walking that. Or even if you have a horse, you know, it's still a while to get there. You know, by car, it's like two and a half hours. Or from where you're at to Effingham depending on if you're in the Illinois area listening to this. I know there's other people from out of, out of here, but from Champaign to Effingham is close to 100. It's 90 miles. So that's really driven to bring these people to what he calls justice. And he's either going to bring them back to prison or in chains or he's going to kill them where they're at, right? So he's on the road when all of a sudden from heaven this big light shines down and he falls to the ground doesn't say he fell off a horse it just says he fell to the ground and he hears this voice saying Saul Saul why are you persecuting me now here's what I love about that he hears a voice from heaven saying why are you persecuting me and he says who are you and he says I am Jesus the one you are persecuting now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what to do next. Here's what I love about that whole statement. It's Jesus speaking, because he says, I am Jesus. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Well, technically, he's persecuting all the believers, right? But Jesus, what you got to get out of that is Jesus is claiming us as him. In other words, he's claiming all of us believers as him, his body, which is what we are. Because he, remember, he prayed that we would all be united. And when he says, why are you persecuting me? He's claiming us as his own. <laughs> I love that. So when we're being persecuted, it's Jesus feels it. He knows it. And he's like, why are you doing this, man? And he's like, now go into the city and I'll tell you what's going to happen next. And so when he stands up, he can't see. He's blind. Because Jesus is going to give him something to think about. You think you see. You think you know what you're doing. You think you got it right. But you're as blind as all those other guys. Remember, he always taught those Pharisees, you think you see but you're really blind and so he's going to show him you're blind and i'm going to give you some time to think about what you've been doing so the friends that were with him they hear a voice but they see nothing so they they get up and they lead him by the hand into the city i'm thinking if they lead him by the hand into the city i, I mean i I suppose you could do that riding on a horse, but I think that'd be difficult. If I was on a horse, I'd just put him on my horse. If I'm leading him by the hand into the city, that says I'm walking. At least in my mind it does. So 
he goes into the city and he ra- remains there three days blind and he gets three days to think and he's fasting the whole time, nothing to eat or drink. And so I have to think the Lord is really letting him ponder all that's going on because the Lord just said, hey, why are you doing this to me? What are you doing? So he gets to think about all that's been going on. And now he's had this encounter this this awakening that he's met face to face Jesus the Messiah the one that he says isn't real the one that he says these people are not supposed to talk about he has just met face to face well then the lord says to Ananias hey i need you to go over to this house on straight street and i need you to find a man there from Tarsus named Saul and i need you to pray over him. <laughs> and the, and and Ananias is like, "Well, wait a minute. He's the guy coming here to kill us or take us back in chains." And man, is he a wicked dude? He's got a lot of stuff going on. And the lord says, "No, no, no, no." He is my chosen instrument to take my message to, oh, get this, not the Jews that he's really familiar with. He's going to take it to the Gentiles, you know, the ones that nobody likes, you know, the ones that are out there, you know, the unchosen ones, the unselect, the ones that are that are on the outside looking in, basically. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So the one that was causing the persecution and the suffering is now going to be the one in the name of Jesus that's going to suffer like Jesus did. Woo-wee. So Ananias said, okay, if you say so, Lord. Ooh, who said that? Peter said that too. So Ananias goes over and he puts his hands on Saul and he says, hey, the Lord said, I need to come and pray for you. And then you'll regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as soon as Ananias prayed that, something like scales fell off Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And when he was regained his sight he got up and was baptized and then he ate some food and regained his strength so from there he stayed with the believers in damascus for a few days and immediately began preaching but guess what he was preaching indeed jesus is the son of god but remember he was going there to persecute christians or i would they're not called christians yet Believers of the way. So they're kind of like, wait a minute, isn't this the same guy who was causing all the ruckus with us? And didn't he come here to arrest us? And then Saul's preaching becomes more and more powerful. So they really couldn't refute what he was saying because his proof was in the preaching that Jesus really is the Messiah. But then they turn against him, and some of them were plotting to kill him. So the believers of the way, the true believers, the one that know, the ones that have been filled with the Holy Spirit, the ones that give their whole life to Jesus, and they know how the Holy Spirit works, and they know 
when the spirit is moving, they arrange to get Saul out of there. And so during the night, they lower him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall, and then Saul goes back to Jerusalem. Well, obviously, when he gets back there, they were afraid of him. But then Barnabas, he tells them how Saul had his encounter. And so then there was peace because Saul, they see, because they believe, because they all are filled with the Holy Spirit and there is unitedness in the Spirit. And there was peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And the church became stronger. See, if we're really filled with the Holy Spirit, we hear the Holy Spirit, and we are united, not divided. But if we are just saying we are, and we really have a lot of our own self-agenda in there, then we can never be united. Because we still want our own way and we still believe our own things, and we don't hear the Holy Spirit bringing a sense of peace over us, and we still don't trust the moving of the Spirit to lead us in a peaceful direction. Because when we are united, then we get to see what happens through the movement of the Holy Spirit, and what they get to see is Peter raising Tabitha, because Tabitha is in Joppa, and she's been sick, and she dies. And t and Peter gets there, and they're all, you know, going through the funeral boohoo and mourning process. And he was nearby at Lydia now, or Lydda, I should say. And they said, okay, come back, come back. So Peter goes back, and he goes in, and they find her dead, and he's like, and, you know, Greek for Tabitha is Dorcas, and he goes in, and he's like, Dorcas, get up. And she gets up, and he takes her by the hand and presents her to the people. And see, when we're in unity, the Lord can do amazing things. And that's what we need to see in our churches and in our circles of influence is we need to just be attentive to the Spirit <laughs> so we can see the unified movement of the Spirit and see these works and wonders come to be. So what's today? Today is about our encounter. If we're going through life and things seem chaotic and we're angry, maybe the Lord wants to just meet us on our road and say, why do you persecute me? I have a bigger plan for you. Come to me because I can do great things through you. And Jesus has that story for each one of us. He can do great things through us if we just come into the unified body of Christ and let him change us. Have a great Friday. The weekend is upon us. We'll see you. God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes.